0: Good morning everybody. How are you? Normally I have the table to the left and I could set up here, but uh, so I didn't have it this morning. So we're entering a big week, huh? Just a little bit. You guys ready for this week? Ready for what the Lord's going to do? You You know what's interesting to me is the Lord gives us the broad strokes of what He's doing, and sometimes He gives us the details of what He's doing. But it never ceases to amaze me that when we come to that time, when we come to it actually happening, it just looks a little bit different. Because we can't begin to fathom... How that affects our lives or or what it does. So coming into this week, we know the broad strokes of what the Lord has said. We know that he is making transparent that which has been hidden, right? All the things that have been hidden from the world that have suppressed his bride, that have suppressed literally his remnant, those are going to be exposed what we don't know is what that looks like, and man, I got to tell you, this whole week I've been going round and round with the Lord, and and I don't mean arguing with him. I mean, tell me, tell me, tell me, <laughs> and then he's silent, 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 right? What does that look like? What does that look like? And and because I, I have two scenarios, because because I I believe the Lord when he says about this red wave. First of all, please understand a red wave. Okay, that that maybe conventionally maybe that means Republican, and and yes, but it, but it's it's so not Republican. It is the thought processes of God. It just so happens that the other side has none of that. It doesn't mean that all the Republican side is good, because the red wave that is coming is the wave of God's move on this country bottom line. So what does that look like? I remember, <laughs> I remember back in 2020 and the election leading up to that. And, and well, let me back up. In 2014, the summer of 2014, the Lord telling me that Donald Trump will be the president for eight years. And of course, back then I did fight the Lord on that one, because i didn 't like him i didn 't like Trump at the beginning, and i 'm not going to belabor all of that that story and, and, and how the Lord just showed me who he was as, as his, his instrument, his plan, his anointed, but coming up to 2020, I had a very different thought process i 'm like Lord said, eight years, I was so confident of It being, you know, this landslide, this red wave, if you want to call, use that. I was so confident of that. And it was, exactly. It was. But yet things were hidden. Things were stolen. Things were made to look different. And I'm like, Lord. I I remember before that happened, I remember Michael, and you guys know Michael, the guy who heads up our Nigerian work, Maybe a few weeks before, a month before the election in 2020, he said to me, "You know, he said I'm just getting this weird feeling that that the news is going to say that Trump loses." I actually got mad at him for saying that to me. (laughs) I said, "I said, don't you even speak that out loud." Well, come find out that's exactly what happened. But again, it's to show and make transparent. What the enemy does. So now as I come into this midterm election, which, which don't kid yourself, midterm election is not less important. It's important. The time is important. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, are you going like, to allow what happened back in 2020? Or am I going to be able to feel really good that night? <laughs> I don't know. That's what he's not answering me. But what he is answering me is he is the one in control of this. He is the one moving in this. What will be shown and made transparent is those who come against him. So no matter what, we're in for an incredible week. We're in for an exciting week. I want to urge you to get involved. Be out there. Vote. Don't sit back and be complacent thinking, well, you know, God's in control. He's going to do this anyways." He uses his people as instruments to bring about his will. So do it. Get out there. Just wanted to mention that before we got going this morning. Now, let's, let's pray before I get into this. Father, we worship you and we praise you and thank you, God, for your presence here, the presence of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. I I just found myself not wanting to end in the worship because I didn't want to end the focus. I didn't want to end the intimacy and time where we're focused on you. But God, that doesn't have to end because it also is when we learn Your word when we learn what you have to say to us. God, I pray for this morning that you fill my mouth with your words, your plan. It is not my desire to speak anything of myself, but use me as a conduit as you will, whatever you want. And Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see the hope. The love, the peace that you offer even in these crazy, troubled times. Father, I thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it the lights or is it hot in here? Is it is it the lights? It, it is like insanely hot up here. Okay. Well, Alright, well, if you guys are cold, then I won't have you turn the AC on, but... If you're breathing out heavy, then turn to the side. <laughs> I'm kidding. So, so this week, and I, I know Alexis had mentioned this to, uh, uh, to the ladies' class, so some of you uh, will have already heard this first part, but I was before the Lord talking with him a couple days ago, and I wanted to share something as I was praying and, and, and talking with him. I asked him, what did he want For this Sunday? What did he want to tell his remnant bride? What did he want to tell Ignition this Sunday? And I'm going to read you his response and what he told me. He said, There are some who need encouragement, and there are some who see the victory before they have ever tasted it. He said, Give them my eyes, give them my ears. Because I see far ahead of their fight. And what little trial there is now will not compare with the joy that I am sending. America is mine. I will not give, I will, I have not given her up. My grip is enclosed and who can break it? Who can take from my hand what I hold on to? No one is strong enough. No one can come close. I have picked America for a destiny that is yet to be seen. It has yet to be fulfilled. I will fulfill it. And as I was going through this with him and talking with him and listening, especially this morning, I'm asking, Okay, Lord, What do you want me to show them? What do you want me to convey that I have seen in my eyes? Because i got to tell you, and I think I've shared this many times, I spend most of my time in a different time, if that makes sense. In my mind, and and maybe some of you guys are this way, I've been this way my whole life, I'm always thinking ahead. I'm always kind of living ahead living in a different time. I know I know that used to frustrate my parents. It's like, no, you do your chores in this time. See, well yeah, but I'm already done with my chores in the future. No, but there there are things that that's where I live. I live, I see the Lord shows me things of what's coming, of what the future looks like for his bride and, and that's often times where, where I stay. And and so it resonated with me when he said to give them my eyes give them what I see because this world especially the church is so lacking hope man alive if anybody should have hope it's the church if anybody should have peace it's the church if anybody should have love it's the church, and yet it's the church that has very few of those things. It's the church that's confused. It's the church that's afraid. And they don't have to be, because God is bringing about something new. Now, a few weeks ago, and, and we're going to kind of, the Lord's having me continue from last week um, which is interesting because I, I didn't know that till this morning. And, and what he gave me this morning, uh, I, I'm not really sure how he's going to bring it together, but but I know that he will. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't already or, or if, if this is the first you've heard of this, go back three weeks. So three weeks prior to today. And it began... At the time we didn't know, but it, it kind of has developed into a series, if you will, of what God is doing in these latter days. What that looks like. What does it look like for the readying of his bride? And it, it started three weeks ago where, where I taught. Then Bryn taught the next week. Then I taught last week. And then today is a continuation of that. There is so much information here. So much information and Acts seventeen eleven applies where you are to be as Bereans, and you're to receive what it is said, what is said with an open heart, with a willingness to believe, but prove out that which is said. I could stand up here all day and I could tell you what the Lord has told me. It means nothing to you until it is yours. Until you take the word of God, you open the word of God, you pray, Holy Spirit, speak to me through this. Show me in your word what you are saying here. Reveal to me. And he will. That's what he wants. That's part of the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal scripture to you. Don't look at it just intellectually. Well, I, I learned this part. This part I got down. I don't need to go back to this part because intellectually the, they taught it Bible class or, or uh, whatever that this is what it means. So I, yeah, I got that part. Man, that'll mess you up. Do you know most of what God does in getting a person ready? in getting a person understanding what he is doing, most of his time is spent getting you to unlearn things that you have learned. And, and I can only speak that because that's what he's done with me and everybody else who I've talked to about it. It's like, open the Scripture, Holy Spirit brings, breathes into it. You start to peel back these layers and understand not just on a topical sense, not just on an intellectual sense, but really what the Holy Spirit is saying there. Because the Scripture is Holy Spirit-breathed. It's alive. That, that's not past tense. It's not that it was alive when it was spoken. It is alive. God is not just saying it back then, you know, 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years, you know, whatever, whatever portion of Scripture... But he's speaking it now. His character hasn't changed. That's why you can look at the Word of God and you can take it as this blueprint of who he is. This blueprint of his character. And everything is applied to that. Everything. doesn't mean that God doesn't speak now. Boy, there's a whole huge, huge part of the bride that believes that. That he doesn't speak. He doesn't speak anymore. Oh, what a tragedy if you believe that. What a loss you will incur if you believe that. There is no intimacy to be gained. There is no relationship to be gained in that. But you can take what He says, and it will always agree with Scripture. He will never say anything contrary to what He has said before. That's why He's given us this blueprint Of his character. So be as the Bereans. What was laid out the last three weeks, what's laid out today, I'm just preparing you. I'm like, Lord, really? You want me to say this? Really? It's going to be different than something you've ever heard. And many of you are going to be like, wait a second, that's not what I've been taught my whole life. Guess what? Me too. Me too. I haven't been taught this my whole life. And all of a sudden, the Lord is just revealing, peeling back layers, and it's like, wow, okay. You know, back when I used to think of this intellectually, I used to kind of avoid that part because it never made sense. Well, we'll just set that over here because God knows what he means, and we'll do something else. All of a sudden, okay, no, now it makes sense. It's supposed to make sense. His word is supposed to make sense. To who? To those who, who, who he is giving it to. To those who are in relationship with him. So I'm, I'm just going to go over. Let, let's go over something that we did last week. In fact, before we do that, I do want to read one verse. Because this is an important key to understand as you're moving through these end time things. And that is in Genesis chapter two, or chapter 1. Turn there real fast. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, this is in the, the creation of man and woman, okay? He, he's created them in the previous verses, and then he gives them a command, right? Now, remember, this is before the fall. This is before sin came in. This is before man was tainted from God's plan. This was when man was perfect. Adam and Eve were perfect. In fact, in fact, God said it was very good later on, which we won't go into, but they were perfect. Verse 28 of chapter 1. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, that word there in the Hebrew, that means to control. That means to carry your influence through. To have the authority over. That was his charge. That was Adam and Eve's charge from the very beginning. Why were they created? It says in Hebrews, man was created for fellowship. God says later, he talks about stewarding what we're given, right? So, right at the beginning, man was given, man and woman were given everything, everything on the earth. It said, subdue it. they were to be held accountable for that work. Adam and Eve were. They were literally created to be partners with God in the work that He had created to be a blessing to Him. That was what they were charged with. Then if you... Go on to chapter 3. You see during the fall what happened was Adam gave away that authority. You with me? You follow me? He gave that authority to subdue. He gave that authority to have control over and to have authority over. He gave that away to Satan. He gave it away right at the beginning. He gave it away. Now God knew he was going to do that obviously. But he gave it away. That is what precipitated, and you see later in chapter 3, where, where one of the first prophecies comes out. And that is that Satan will have a seed, God will have a seed, and God's seed will crush Satan's seed. There's a lot there. We're not going to get into that this morning. But, but it began this battle. It began this war. All because Adam gave it away. Not by deception. He gave it away by choice. Now, I I won't get into that either because in part, I believe he gave it away because he didn't want to give up his bride. He gave it away because he loved her and he knew what she had done. And there was a penalty for that. And in many ways, he probably threw himself on the mercy of God. But understand... That from that moment, God had a plan in creating Adam and Eve that was not fulfilled. Not fulfilled. Since the time of Adam and Eve, it has never been fulfilled. You understand that, right? You're with me on that? That that Satan has the authority, or at that point was given the authority, and yet you look at the end when the bride is a readied bride on this earth, not, not in heaven, on this earth, that she is a readied bride and she is ruling, there has to be a point where that authority shifts. And that's what God's been teaching us. That's what he's doing right now. He is taking that authority that Satan had and shifting it to his bride. Literally shifting it back to those who would steward it properly. I told you last week to look up Psalm 82. Psalm 82 is when he declared those who he had given the nations to, he declared, and and it wasn't human. Okay, these were principalities that he had given the nations away to. It says in Psalm 82 he said, I will take them back. And that's what he's doing. The payment for that was great. The payment for that was Jesus' blood. The payment for that was God himself choosing to insert himself into his own creation and become a man. To live a perfect, sinless life only to offer it on the cross because it required that payment to then be able to give that back to man. You follow me? He had to make that payment with his own blood To give the opportunity back to man to subdue the earth. To control the earth. To have authority over the earth. Not in suppression, but in rulership. In godly rulership. So Jesus paid that price 2,000 years ago. He paid that price. It said it is paid, it is done, it is finished, it is paid in full. Everything that needed to be paid for was paid by Jesus Christ. He was given the authority to take back that which was lost. But yet, just like the beginning, he didn't change God's plan. God's plan was always to partner with mankind. That was what he said in Genesis Chapter 1, he was going to partner with mankind who would then subdue the earth, who would steward the earth according to what God's will was. Okay, you with me on that? And we talked about that a little bit last week. So, so let's go to Revelation chapter 9. I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 10. I want to mention something because we talked about the last trumpet last week. And we talked about the fact that the last trumpet was literally the readying of the bride. And I again, I encourage you to go back and, and read that. But I want to point something out in chapter 10 real quick about the last trumpet. Because we think of things, when we read scripture, we think of things, as I've said, in a linear fashion. But we also think of things in terms of time. You know, it it doesn't take me long. Well, if if I had the ability to, it wouldn't take me long to blow a trumpet. Right? You blow a trumpet, a few seconds, it's blown, it's done. You did that. Okay, that's what we think of when we think of the the trumpet judgments in Revelation. And there's there's the judgment, right? Okay, the last trumpet. Here it is. We all go to heaven. We're done. And yet that's not what he's saying. I want you to turn in, in chapter 10 of Revelation. Let's just look at verse 7. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants. Okay, that mystery, that mystery of the readied bride would be fulfilled in the days of the trumpet. In fact, if you look at that Greek word what it means is in the time of. I don't know why theologians couldn't have just put that <laughs> instead of in the in the day or in the days of in the time frame of because it it starts to set our mind on something bigger. Something bigger is going on in the time frame of that last it, it's it's kind of like saying in the time of the Gentiles. Okay, the time of the Gentiles wasn't one week. Even though if you read Daniel chapter 9, you kind of think, okay, well, yeah, it's one week, or or kind of like the rest of the weeks, it was one week of seven, and... Well, no. I mean, so far, it's been 2,000 years. Right? That's the time of the Gentiles. I have no idea what the time is of that seventh trumpet. What the time is of the readying of the bride. What I do know is that there is a transference to the bride from the world. Literally, this handoff that was given by Adam is now going to be taken back by the bride. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid for it. And as his partners here on earth, he partners with us to take it back. And that's what he's doing. But the days of that trumpet is where we find ourselves. So, so now... Let's just, uh, turn a couple pages over to Revelation chapter 11. And let's, let's look at the seventh trumpet again as we did last week. And I'm not going to go deep into this. You, you, you could go back and listen to it again last week and the weeks before. Starting at verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become. The kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was for you, have taken your great power and begun to reign. To reign where? To reign where? In heaven? No, he already reigns in heaven, right? Does he reign in this earth? No, it was given away. It was given away by one he put in stewardship of it. It was given away. But yet in the seventh trumpet, this readying of the bride is going to happen to where that is taken back. And God's kingdom becomes the kingdom of the earth. In other words, his kingdom comes to this place. Now, see, as I grew up, I I believed that it all just, man, everything, just hang on until you get raptured, and then it's all good. (laughs) I mean, literally, just hang on. No matter how terrible life gets, just hang on. Finally, there'll be a rapture. It could come any day, so you have hope. It'll come any day. Oh, man, was I so off. Now, by the way, the rapture is coming. It says at the end of that trumpet, at the end of those days, when the bride is ready, then he comes. But until then, there is this war of taking back what Adam gave away that Jesus already paid for. And then it says, we give thanks to you, Lord of God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. His power now is reigning on the earth. Go a little further. The nations raged. Okay, that's an easy one. Just turn on your TV. You know, just open your eyes. But your wrath came. But his justice came. He is a holy God. He is not one that would be changed because of sin or changed because of mankind. He is holy and he is righteous and he is just. And this God of grace is one bookend. The other bookend is a God of justice. You can't get rid of that part. Because that's His holiness. This whole process is to make His bride holy. To be with Him. That He can reign inside of her. But your wrath came at the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding of your servants the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name both small and great and for the destroying the destroyers of the earth. And and I told you last week again go back and read it or listen to it. That is talking in the spirit realm. That is talking about the principalities that had control over land. That that were given that in the Tower of Babel and failed to steward it properly. Failed to steward it for God. I I find that so interesting that God still requires, even of fallen angels, even of fallen angels, He requires them to steward properly. Now, certainly knowing good and well in His mind, they're not going to. But if that stopped him from doing things, he never would have created man in the first place. He never would have created Lucifer in the first place, knowing what he would have chosen. But that was the cost of love for him. He had to create a world that had choice. He had to create a people that had choice. Because then we could choose to love him. That's real love. If we're just slaves... And we're forced to love. That's not real love. So, so in this seventh trumpet, we have this, this mystery that is unfolded. Now, I want to read you something else. Again, I was before the Lord a couple days ago. And I want to read you something that he said because, <laughs> because it blew me away. I'm t- I was talking with him about an event that is coming up in in uh, the end of this month, beginning of December, in Washington, D.C. Not an event that people know about. It's, it's just something that the Lord is going to do. I was talking with him about that and, and asking him some questions about that. And oftentimes he will answer things that I'm not asking. Because it's like... I'm not going to wait for you to ask the right question. I'm just going to tell you this answer. But I want to read you something that he said because it will encourage you and hopefully it won't scare you. He said, If you think things are fast now, you have not seen what I am about to do. And this was in regards to judgment that he is bringing He said all of this is building toward total authority over the earth. And he's talking about the bride. He's talking about those that are in relationship with him, those that are in intimacy with him. All of these things are proven out in the word of God, and we've talked about that the last three weeks. then I, I was sharing with him, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read what I said to him, because I, I wrote that down as well, because it will give an account as to why he answers the next question. I said, Father, the last two days I've been going through all the Gospels, listening to Jesus' life here on earth. I found myself very frustrated because of the disbelief and the religious spirit. I found myself declaring and asking you that Jesus would rule through his bride. That all the things that were held back from him, Jesus, in his life because he had to go to the cross, now be given to him through his bride. I would even ask that he would come here to rule, but I know that's coming at a different time. But as he rules through his bride, I declare in this realm it will be his rule and not our own. It will be what he wants because he does what you want. And we are in him and he is in you, therefore, we are in you. I want to declare that and speak that I am in full agreement with your will. And the father's response was this Creation is not the only one who has been waiting for my sons to be revealed. I have waited. I have waited for them to be seen and for their rule to begin. Because through them, my son will have what he was promised. And again, yes, he will have it directly given to him in his own reign and in his own rule in his own time. But the first course of refreshment I bring him will be through his beloved bride. And when he comes, he will enjoy the fruit of their labor. See, don't kid yourself. What the Lord is doing right now in his remnant bride, to those building relationship with him, to those who give their pure yes to whatever he wants, what he is doing in them is that agreement that he had with Adam going back all full circle to what He intended from the very beginning. He is doing that. And He will do that before He would come and just wipe it all out. Which, by the way, is what's going to happen. That's the tribulation. And then He comes physically and takes control. But see, it was never His intention to take control on this earth, his intention was to have that authority and control by, given by the ones who loved him. By Adam and Eve. And, and those offspring that would come from them. It was supposed to be given to God and stewarded for God in that pure way. So, so does God give up on that and just say, oh man, I tried. It didn't work out. They just won't listen to me you know what, it would have been better to just make slaves and then they'll listen. No. Love wouldn't allow that to happen. Love forces God literally to partner with what He had planned for at the beginning. It will happen. It is happening. That's what God is doing even right now. I want you to turn to Revelation. Just go a few pages up. Revelation uh, chapter 19. And I know I'm throwing a lot out here, but this is getting into a, a really interesting idea of what this readiness means. You all have heard about the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Everybody heard about that? I taught the Bible for 30 years before... God began to open my eyes as to what that means, because I, I thought again i 'm just waiting for that rapture to come, and then it 's all good after that, and I get to go to this wedding feast, and i 'm sure the food is going to be insane right and and i got to make sure my my garments are right to be able to go because i 'm invited to it as as a as a christian, as, as somebody who has accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. I am part of that bride, so I have to have the right garments on, right? When we understand the wedding feast, and perhaps we'll go through that in a second. But I thought that that's all happens after I die. Or or get raptured, go to heaven, and then, you know, then it's all on God after that. I just gotta hold on until that, you know, cloud scene. <laughs> How wrong. How wrong that I was. So let, let's look at this a second. In Revelation chapter 19, we're going to begin at verse 6. It's talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb here. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult. And give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, pure, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Okay, now, if you want to understand that this is for this lifetime, that this is for this earth time before the rapture, you have to go back and understand what he's saying. Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Reigns where? Again, we said it before. I showed you in Scripture before. He reigns here. Because He already reigns in heaven. But He reigns now in the hearts of man, of mankind. He reigns in the hearts as He did with Adam and Eve prior to the fall. That is the, that is the shout. That's the joy that, that literally He reigns in their hearts. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Another clue is in, at the end of verse seven. It says, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Okay, that kind of seems contrary of scripture if you think that that is being made perfect in regards to sin, then you're confused because we cannot do that without Jesus Christ. But yet it says here, has made herself ready. What does that mean? That the bride of Christ has through their own choice decided to say yes to Jesus Christ. To say, you rule in my life. You rule in everything that I do. You rule in me. That's how we become ready. That's how we become ready individually. But that's how we become ready as a bride. Where He rules through us. But it says here that his bride has made herself ready. It's through her, yes. And, and by the way, that doesn't mean, all right, God, you know, give me five years, I'm going to go work on making myself ready, and then I'll get back to you with you know, these pure garments that I have on. <laughs> That's not what it says. No, to become ready is to become intimate with him. Literally, the goal is that his heart becomes our heart, that our heart becomes fashioned after his desires. That transformation that is talked about is what's talked about when it talks of sanctification. Sanctification is just some, you know, theological term for relationship. That's what it is. When we accept Jesus Christ into our heart, that is our justification of sin. That opens the door with relationship. That does not give us relationship. In fact, Jesus said, you draw unto me and then I will draw unto you. Right? We're to draw unto Him. We're to build relationship with Him by giving Him our yes. By saying, as David did, Lord, show me anything that is between us. Show me any sin in my life that comes in the way of me hearing from you, of me building relationship with you. And through the course of that effort, he builds this relationship. That is how the bride becomes ready. And there have been certainly, I mean, I would imagine, There have been people all throughout the history of the church that have done this. But yet, to this point, the bride collectively has not taken back what is rightly hers. Given by God. Paid for by Jesus. Chalk that up to perhaps it wasn't time yet. I mean, honestly, that's what I chalk it up to. Because it says that the number of the Gentiles will come in. So God maybe had this specific number in mind of Gentiles that were going to accept his son as Savior. And and perhaps time had to go long enough to where those numbers were coming in. I don't know. That is a total guess. Please don't say that I'm saying that's doctrine or anything like that. I don't know why. I know there have been righteous people for the last 2,000 years, but I don't know why the bride has not come together in that unity. There's been pockets of it. That's why we see pockets of revival. But even those pockets of revival, if you really study them, very interesting study, but you go back and, and study those revivals, you see... After a course of time, things change. The goal becomes, how do we get more people? How do we do this? How do we do that? How do we influence? And see, that was never our job. It's not our job to build this church. Never has been. Never has been. From the beginning, I I never cared If we had one person or if we had millions of people, never cared, still don't care. It's not my job. My job is to live in relationship with the Lord and speak what he tells me to speak. But there is a time that is here now where the Lord has spoken to his prophets and has said, it's time. It's time for these things to come about. We have seen them brewing over the last eight years. It's time. It's time for the wedding of his bride. I want to give you a, an example. Jesus gives in, in the book of Matthew. Turn to Matthew chapter 22. He gives a picture of this wedding feast. I want to read it to you. It's, it's interesting to recognize some points here. Verse, 20, or verse 1 in chapter 22, And Jesus began to spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king. Now remember, in all these parables, he's, he's answering this question because they said, What is the kingdom of heaven like? Okay, now Now recognize the kingdom of heaven is not the kingdom of this earth but it's supposed to be, right? It was supposed to be with Adam and Eve. Adam gave it away. So the kingdom of heaven is supposed to be here. In fact, we find in, I think it's Revelation 22, where God finally says, it is now time for God to come and dwell with man, and literally heaven, the literal new Jerusalem, comes down to earth. But see, it was always his intent for this to be his kingdom. For this to be his rule. So again, verse 2. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And you know he's talking about Jesus, right? You know Jesus is giving this parable as the father to the son. And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they wouldn't come. And and again, there he's talking about those prophetically at this point when he's giving this parable, but he knew that he would be betrayed and, and um, rejected by his own people. Verse 4, Again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. He's talking about the prophets. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. See, the wedding feast has been ready since Jesus rose from the dead. Since he paid his blood on that cross, it's been ready. That that. Wedding feast has been ready. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out unto the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in, and in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. For most my adult life, I thought of that as the difference between salvation and not salvation, being saved or not being saved. That's not what it's talking about. That's not what the clothing represent. Because we, we see in other areas where there are people who know the Lord, who believe in Him, but their garments are filthy. We saw that even in Zechariah chapter 3 where the garments are filthy because of sin. What does it mean to have pure clothing? Pure garments. It means that that sin is covered. But that's an active phrase. Not just that the sins were paid for because Jesus was on the cross and now I could do whatever I want. The active phrase is that building of relationship. When we have garments that are soiled by sin... We can't build that relationship with God. Why? Because we can't hear Him. We build these these walls between us and God. Those walls are built with sin. And He's on the other side of the wall. Speaking. Talking. Saying, I desire relationship with you. You personally. Not just your church. Not just through your pastor. Not just through your friend, but with you. I desire it with you. But this wall is in the way. You can't even hear me. So he's saying, break down the wall. When we break down the wall, which is so readily available to us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. All we have to do is ask forgiveness for it. And from our heart, desire that freedom. He said, when we desire that, we'll find it. When we seek Him, we'll find Him. When we desire that and we ask forgiveness, those dirty clothes start to get changed into clean garments. It doesn't mean that we weren't saved and now we're saved and we lost our salvation and they're dirty again and, okay, got saved again, so now I got clean again. (laughs) That's not it. It's about that day-to-day relationship with the Lord. He gives you the authority in your own life to say yes to Him. When you say yes to Him, He becomes your battle axe. He becomes your sword. To literally pierce the enemy through that tries to soil your clothes. But see, the goal is that intimacy with the Lord. That's what happened here when the king saw this this one who was invited to the marriage feast. He was invited. He was, quote unquote, saved, if you will. He was justified of his sin. He was invited there because of his placement in the family. But yet he wasn't clothed properly. That right there is the difference, the main difference in the bride today. That's the difference between the bride and what we call the remnant. By the way, we don't just call them the remnant. Lord calls them the remnant. That remnant are the ones who have exchanged their soiled clothes for pure ones. As it says in Revelation chapter 3, buy purified gold of me. tried by fire. Ooh, that's the part we want to leave off. Because when we buy that gold from him to be purified of him, it comes with testing. It comes with fire. It comes with trouble. Why? Because, I mean, literally, how easy would it be if we get saved and then now devil can't touch us at all? First of all, that doesn't work because he's been the one in authority. He's the Prince in the power of the air. And and don't please don't misunderstand. Jesus paid for that two thousand years ago, but he never enacted his right. Do you understand? He never enacted his right of taking control of this earth, even though he paid for it already. Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what He is supposed to do through us. Through His partnership of His own creation. That's what He wants to do. So the Father looks at this one who was invited, but didn't have the proper clothing on. I want you to think of it as somebody who is part of the bride, but they are not in relationship with the Lord. Right? They do not keep a close account of their sin. Which means in relationship with the Lord, He shows you things every day. Every day. You know what? You shouldn't have done that. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Show show me what I must do if, if I'm to ask forgiveness of others. But we keep that purity of those garments. But this one did not. So it says, bind him, hand and foot. In other words, grab him, cast him into the outer darkness. Now this is where it really gets confusing. I don't like just about any of the translations. Do not translate this properly. In the Greek, this is really, and if you look up the Greek word, it really means into a place of less light. Into, the word really means shadiness. Okay, They are cast away from who is the light. Come on, who's the light? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in proximity to Him and God. They are the light. We see that later in Revelation that there's no sun or moon. They literally are the light. To be cast away from that light into less light is what it is talking about here. In other words, wait a second, you can't be part of this fellowship. You can't be part of this this celebration. You have to go. And it says where there's this gnashing of teeth and and, and what's it say? It says um, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, that word weeping there means remorse. And gnashing of teeth literally means a grinding. It's kind of like, have you ever been so upset with yourself about doing something? It was like, I mean, we've all been there, right? That's literally what the Greek words there mean. That upon that realization, they will understand what they could have had. What was purchased for them. What was their real inheritance? Their real inheritance isn't about being in heaven and getting some mansion. Their real inheritance is closeness with God. Do you understand? God is the prize. Not, not some mansion in heaven. God is the prize. Intimacy with Him is the prize. Closeness with Him is the prize. And those who do not seek that, but yet know the Lord as Savior, they will be in heaven, but they're going to recognize at the beam and seat of Christ what could have been. That's why it said there are so many tears. We'll recognize what could have been. Those who don't seek relationship, who don't understand relationship, that's, that's what crushes me more than anything. If, if, if I could ask anything of anybody, it would be at least to understand your choice. To understand your choice that Jesus died on the cross and paid for. It wasn't just so you can escape fire and live in some mansion. It was so you could know Him. It's so He could become your best friend. It's so you have that interaction of relationship every day and all the time. Wow. All right, let's go one more place. I really had a bunch more, but I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, I should probably stop.
1: <laughs>
0: um, all right, let me give a teaser, and, and you guys can study this. The marriage supper of the Lamb is not going to happen in heaven. It's going to happen here. It's going to happen here on this earth before the rapture. We, if, if you don't understand that, go through last week. I laid that out very in detail last week. But it's going to happen here, right? This marriage supper of the Lamb. It, it, it will culminate in the, final, the finality of that seventh trumpet, which is the rapture. Okay, but what is this marriage feast? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15... Paul tells us of a mystery. We're going to begin at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Recognize kingdom of God coming here. Okay, get out of your mind that he's talking about going to heaven. Cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep... Or human death is what he's talking about. But we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. Again, I used to think that that was at the rapture. But do you know there are Christians... When I, when I began to understand that the, the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to happen here and happen before the rapture, there are Christians over the last 2,000 years that have been invited and that have the right to be there. So that changes some things. Lord's been telling us for a long time. In fact, Alex even, I think, prayed it or during, during communion, or somebody did. Maybe it was during worship. I can't remember. But said, said, I am healed. Right? Am I right or am I thinking of something else? I mean, we've heard that a thousand times. I am healed. I, I claim this right now when I'm having trouble walking on my left knee which is weird because I've never had knee, tr- knee problems in my life, and it literally happened during a dream. Explain that one to me. Same way I got a separated shoulder in a dream, and my shoulder was separated when I woke up. You explain those things. I, I, don't, I don't even know. I have no explanation. But the truth is that what God is doing now is that healing. What is that Healing. Well, ultimately, that healing is a glorified body. Thinking of, oh man, again, can't wait to get that when I get to heaven. Wait a second, didn't we just read that you don't need that for heaven? That's not what you need for heaven. It said it's for here. Okay, wait a second. That really messes with my head, Lord. Lord. You mean to tell me that that glorified body, which is the third, the third aspect, if you will, of salvation. When, when the Bible talks about salvation, it breaks it down into three phases, if you will. It breaks it down into justification of sin. It breaks it down into sanctification, which is relationship with Him. And breaks it down to a glorified body. Okay, guess what that glorified body is? That glorified body is the very body that Adam and Eve had before they sinned. Wow. I am healed, Lord. I am healed. I believe it. I believe it. What does that mean? That means that that glorification is coming in this life. Now, I know online I probably just lost half the people. That's all right. It was a struggle for me to believe it, and I'm, and God's the one telling me. But it's coming. It's coming to those who are readied. When he told me that, it made so much sense of everything else, where he said that he, he referred, this is in the book of Zechariah, but he, he, he referred this to the bride where ten would come up to one, And say, I just want to hold on to you. I just want to walk with you. I just want to know because it's so obvious that you are friends with God. And I want to learn. Okay, what makes that obvious? It's not obvious now. So would you say that, okay, well, there aren't people that close to God now? No, that's not true. Because there is a point coming where he glorifies his relationship with his bride. And in that glorification, our bodies change. Now recognize this for a second. What kind of body did, did he have? Did, did Adam have? Adam and Eve? Okay, the biggest piece of this is that in the fall, Adam was then held to three dimensions plus time. Whereas before that, he wasn't. That's why when he came only into this realm, he realized he was naked. Does that mean he wasn't naked before? No, he was. He was clothed in light, though. He was living in the dimensions that God always intended man to live in. That doesn't mean that God takes that person up to heaven so they could be in those ten dimensions. There would be no testimony in that. There would be no reason for somebody to come up to you and say, tell me about God because I see Him in your life. It's His kingdom coming here. When His kingdom comes here, it doesn't mean everybody will live in His kingdom but you're going to see evidence of the ones that do. Wow, if that isn't exactly what he's been telling us for a few years, that that people are going to know. They're going to know who those people are that are in relationship with him. How would they know? How would they know just looking at him? It's because of what he's about to do. And Lord... I declare, do it, do it, do your will, do your will, not for the sake of us not having to deal with things we deal with, but for the sake of your bride that does not believe that 's why he 's going to do it that 's why he said there 's a revival coming, a biggest revival in history first. I mean, we, we've heard this prophesied for a long time. First person I ever heard prophesy this was, uh, what's that English guy's name? Kim, Kim Clement. Years and years ago, I want to say probably 30 years ago, he talked about a billion soul harvest. I remember when the Lord first showed me that about eight years ago, and I didn't know what it meant. He, he, I'm out in the middle of this courtyard out in the U of D, and it's snowing, and or, or no, it hadn't been snowing yet, but it was cold. It was bitter cold, and I was praying to the Lord about what ignition would do, what this harvest would look like, and He said, he's, he said "Do you see the snowflakes?" And they, the snowflakes were coming, and yet there, there were no clouds the snowflakes were coming just out of thin air. And I thought, are they blowing off the rooftop? Because it had been snowing. And they weren't. I I look up and they're just coming blank, just out of of thin air. And he said, every one of those snowflakes is a life that ignition will touch for me. And I thought, man, I'll I'll, I'll hang on to that one. Well, I was in with him couple days ago, a few days ago, and went into this room with him and there were snowflakes on the ground. Lord, what is this? Snowflakes. He said, it's time. He said, it's time to begin. It's time to begin reaching my bride because my bride is hungry for me. There are people out there hungry. I'm hungry for him. I desperately want him. I don't care what he gives me. I don't care if I get a mansion. I really could care less. I'd rather live in his mansion. I just want to be at his feet. I'm hungry for him. And I know there are a large part of his bride that are hungry and yet don't know. They don't know what it means to have relationship with him. They don't know that he even speaks, that he would speak to them. I don't have to tell you anything new. You could go before the Lord yourself and say, is is what he's saying true? That's what I said, be Bereans. Because he'll tell you it's the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that speaks to his children. So Lex, come on up. I just want to encourage you in this. And gonna... Give you sorry and give you the eyes to see what he is doing. Because it trumps anything in your life. It trumps career. It trumps family. It trumps needs. It trumps everything. All those things in Matthew 6, that he says come after seeking him in his righteousness. So go after him.
1: We're going to close in prayer. And um, I just want to say to discover something deep, deep, deep in the word of God, you You do have to um, just be willing to go there. I I was thinking all the amazing discoveries that we're getting right now, um, we're kind of conditioned to just believing what people say and not going after God ourselves. And, you know, even when you look back, Rich mentioned it at one of the last gifts meetings, even from Mount Sinai, the people were in fear of who they saw God to be. And they were like, oh, we we can't deal with it. We can't deal with his voice and his presence. He's so holy. Moses, you just tell us. You just tell us how it's going to be. And you see it all different through the ages. People that are, they don't pursue God for themselves and be able to receive this revelation. And that's why we've gotten into some of this doctrine that we've now had to unlearn because God wants to reveal it to people who will pursue him. And um, he said back, Well, earlier in the message, the Lord said to me when Greg was preaching, he said, he said, love is pursuit. If you love me, it's like, it's like how God, we sing that song. He won't relent until he has it all. He pursues us, but our love for him is a pursuit for him. And he really does want to reveal so much more. He doesn't want the bride to be spoon fed just from the leaders. He wants your spirit in your time with him to bear witness to what he has people saying, and for us to be in unity with our own discovery. Yes, there are positional places he puts us, but there's not a hierarchy of knowledge. There's a there's a, an equal opportunity for everyone to receive wisdom and revelation from the Lord. So go to him yourself, and let him truly just. I always use the term "blow your mind" because it's when I get something deep, especially from a verse that I have known my whole life, memorized my whole life, and the Lord unlocks something else, I've got two choices. I can either go, wow, Lord, look at what you're showing me, or I can say, nope, that's not God, that's a demon. If I believe that, I'm being deceived. And we do have a choice. And there's a lot of the bride that will not let God show them any more than they knew before because they believe that any new revelation is a false revelation, and that is what allows the enemy to win every time. Does it mean that there are false spirits that speak to us and deceive us? There are, but when we know him, I don't have to worry if somebody calls me on the phone and it says Greg Twiddell, and I answer and it sounds like Greg Twiddell, and that as I talk to him, I kind of know it's Greg Twiddell. I don't have to wonder and wonder and wonder. I wonder if this is somebody else. I wonder if this is a prank. I wonder if I'm being punked. I know Greg well enough to know that if he calls me, it's him. And when you know the Lord intimately and he's speaking to you, you will know his voice. And, and he says it. My sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. And it's available to each of us. So go to him and learn of him. And man, oh man, if I had known, oh, in my growing up years, this, the relationship that was of always available... Now he's actually showing me times when he spoke to me when I was a child and I didn't recognize it at the time. And he's taking me back to those moments. And I'm like, wow, you were speaking to me the whole time. But I didn't know because I wasn't taught that. And I felt like all I could ever learn from God was what my Sunday school teachers and my pastors taught me and what on face value I could get from the word of God. And it's so much deeper. So um, God is awesome. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you. For the depth of wisdom and revelation that you give us, God, in your word. And that you are so um, so willing to unlock truth, God. Whether we are uh, intellectually smart or not, God, you are no respecter of a person, God, except that they just pursue you and love you and seek you and give you their choice of yes, God, I just praise you for that. And God, I do pray that with some of these things that you are revealing at this time, that you would help us to by faith believe what you are saying and that it is you. God, only you can give us the confidence and the peace that it is you, God. And only you can keep us from being deceived. No matter what kind of guards we put into place other than a pure heart. God, you are the only one that can protect us from deception. It is literally deception to think that we can protect ourselves from being deceived. It is just in the pursuit and closeness of you that you protect us. So God, I pray that you would give us that. Just that heart to want to know you more. Oh God, I no wonder Without any of that, no wonder people just despise and run from religion. It's so empty. It's so false and fake and void of anything real. But God, in you, I don't even like to attach the the current modern-day meaning of religion to anything that you are. Because you are just the fullness of every longing that we have. You created us for actual fellowship with you. How is that possible? It is so awesome. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us, speaking to us, and now revealing to us things that you are opening up at this time. God, you are a God that reveals things in your sovereignty at certain times. That's why there wasn't the technology that we have now in the 1600s. Because there were certain times for certain things and advancements to be known. And God, we are now entering a time where you are showing us different things based on your plan unfolding. So God, help us to trust you for it. I just love you. I praise you. I thank you that I can count on you. When man fails me. When doctrines get confusing and distorted and the enemy comes to try to be some familiar spirit, angel of light, God, I can count on you to discern these things by your Holy Spirit, what is truth and what is not. Because apart from you, I can do nothing. So I just praise you. Take this word and drive it into our hearts and into our minds deeply in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.